Welcome to the Gateway Baptist Church Podcast. This is a message from our series on the life of Joseph. Today, we look at how Joseph's brother Judah turned his back on God, but God never turned his back on Judah. Hey, welcome to church. It's so good to, uh, to be here with you this, this morning. So good to have you joining online as well, wherever you're from. Uh, it's my privilege today to wrap up our Joseph series. I trust you've been enjoying it. I trust you've been encouraged as we've explored this series. And, uh, and today we're gonna have a little bit of a, a different look uh, at this particular story. You might see something that you've never seen before. But I wanna start by asking us this morning, who loves campfires? Who loves campfires, right? Sitting around a campfire, whether it's at a camp or in your backyard, kind of lighting the, uh, the, the fire up and just sitting around, kind of almost nothing better than sitting around a campfire with the family, roasting marshmallows with your friends, telling stories. I love, I love a campfire. I love a good campfire. And uh, I might love them a little bit too much. I've been called by the fire, uh, the fire department has been called on me twice um, in campfires that I've been involved with in two different countries. And uh, I'm getting a little bit of trouble, but I do love it. After the flames died down and all the diesels burned away, uh, just sitting there, roasting marshmallows under the stars, talking about stories, sharing some funny moments, and just, uh, just sharing stories. Uh, last school holidays, my family and I, we all went to uh, a national park, and uh, at, the, at the evening, after the meal, we sat down, we didn't have any diesel, so it took a while to get the fire started. Um, but uh, we sat around and we, we roasted marshmallows under the beautiful starry sky. And we just started sharing stories, stories of memories, stories that have left a significant impact on our family. And it's funny how we always go back to telling the same stories, you know, stories that have made an impact in our lives, stories that just had those memorable moments that have to be retold, stories where dad has once again done something embarrassing. You know, these campfire stories, they help us bond together. They reinforce our values and they relay our history. I don't know whether you've had that experience of sitting around a campfire and retelling a story for the umpteenth time, but they end up kind of getting burned into our consciousness, these stories. And it was exactly the same for the people of Israel as they gathered around their campfires, uh, cooking their dinner at the end of a day or just taking it easy after a long day at work, they would tell their stories again and again, sharing their history and passing on the stories of faith from generation to generation. And because they, had a, they did this because they had a strong oral tradition, they didn't actually write much down in the early days. They would just pass these stories on from generation to generation by talking and sharing around a campfire. It wasn't until Moses actually began to collate and get these stories written down that we have them in the format that we have them today. But by then, the details of the stories had been entrenched in the psyche of the Israelites. The story of the families of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the story of Joseph. These were Israel's favorites. They were their origin story. Joseph's story was the, the campfire story that was told again and again. It was a story that they shared as they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. 
It was the story of how they got there in the first place. This story was the one that was shared as they did the journey of the Exodus. Dad, can you tell us that Joseph story again? Dad, remind us how all of this started. This story was told time and time again before it was even written down. And it's fascinating to see what details make it into the version that we have today. What lessons were taught through its telling. And this morning as we wrap up our Joseph series, we're gonna take a zoom out a little bit. We're gonna take a bird's eye view and try to explore the story like they would have sitting around the campfire. At the end of the day, this story is a story about family and about God's faithfulness to that family. The story actually begins much earlier in Genesis when God makes a promise to Abraham and his descendants. He says to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is God's promise to Abraham. He enters a covenant with Abraham and then goes on to promise him something else. He says, the whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Now, whenever these origin stories were shared around the Israelites' campfire, they'd always come back to these promises that God had made to his people. Of these promises that God would grow a family and that through that family, all nations would be blessed. A promise of God that they would have a land to call home and a promise that this God would be their God. And their campfire stories shared and told how God was faithful to his promises and that God was faithful to his people. Despite all the violence in Abraham's family, despite all the messy marriages, despite all of the drought and the famine and the disasters that befell these people, God's promises prevail. In the time of Joseph, we can see the progress of this promise, that the family is growing. Now Abraham's children and then grandchildren and now great-grandchildren have been a blessing to many. And in Joseph's own story, we see God being faithful to the promises and dreams that he put on Joseph's heart. As Maney showed us in the very first week of this series here at Mackenzie, he said, whatever God promises, God delivers. And this is the reason why these stories were shared, to remind a people, to pass on to the next generation that God is faithful to his people. But the best stories have many layers to them. It's like Star Wars. Star Wars isn't just a story about an intergalactic empire and a small band of rebels trying to bring about its downfall. Star Wars is also about a young boy's tragic search for his father. It's all about family. Same with the the Chronicles of Narnia. It's, It's not just a story about a group of siblings who fall through the back of a wardrobe into a magical kingdom. It's actually about a majestic king who lays down his life for that kingdom. And within this story of Joseph, there actually lies another story. As we read the scriptures today, we're at risk of missing 
this story, just because of the way that it's all laid out and the way that we read. But around the campfire, it would have been so obvious. And yet, just as God was at work in Joseph's life, he was powerfully at work in the life of another character in this story. See, this story is about family, but Joseph is only one member of the family. We know his story. You know, Saul, as a young dreamer, he's sold into slavery and then punished for a crime that he didn't commit. Yet he rises to become the governor of Egypt, and two decades later, he reunites his family, just as his dream as a 17-year-old foretold. God was faithful to Joseph and was at work in him and through him. Yet while Joseph is seen as a hero, sometimes it can be hard to relate to Joseph. It seems like he was perfect. He made all the right decisions that he always landed on his feet. But sitting around that campfire, you can almost hear the questions. Well, what about me? What if I'm not perfect? What if I've made mistakes? Can God still use me? Is he still at work in my life? This is where the story within a story answers these questions as we're told about another member of the family, a brother named Judah. When we're introduced to Joseph in this campfire story, we see him as a naive 17-year-old dreamer, his father's favorite, but a boy who annoys his brothers to the extent that they actually just hate him. And as a result, they bind him up and, and send him into slavery. But what was clear around the campfire is how he got there. The story goes that Judah was the one who instigated all of this. It was Judah's idea to sell Joseph into slavery. The campfire story goes in Genesis 37, Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Judah's hatred results in the expulsion of Joseph from his family. And Joseph, Judah's decision and the associated cover-up traumatizes their father Jacob. It breaks their family. And it ends up being too much for Judah as well. And we discover that immediately after, Jake, uh, Judah himself also leaves the family. Whether it was the guilt or whether it was trying to, the stress of trying to cover a lie, Judah wants out. The story goes uh, in Genesis 38 now. It says, at that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There, Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man named Shua. See, Judah walks out of his family. He turns his back, firstly on his brother, then he turns his back on the rest of his family, and he even turns his back on God. Judah rebels against his family. He walks away from the promises that God had made to his family. He decides he wants nothing to do with that anymore, and he wants nothing to do with the promise to build a nation through the family. He decides to go it alone, to do his own thing, to mix with the Canaanites on his own terms. And so in one foul swoop, Jacob loses two sons. First of all, Joseph, and second of all, Judah. And around the campfire, everyone knows that Judah has made a massive mistake. 
He's abandoned his family. He's walked away from his God. But what happens next? What about God's promises? Does God even still care about Judah? Well, as the story unfolds, we we see more connection and contrast in these two brothers' stories. You remember if if you were here a few weeks ago, a key moment in Joseph's story is when he was accused of an indiscretion against Potiphar's wife. His master's wife tried to lure Joseph into sleeping with her, but he resisted temptation and fled from her presence. Yet he's falsely accused and ends up in prison anyway. Today, we read this next story uh, in our, our Bibles, but as this is shared around the campfire, probably in the part where the kids after, go, after they go to sleep, we recognize that Judah was also tempted into an improper relationship. See, in his rebellion, Judah goes and marries this foreigner, a Canaanite woman. The Bible doesn't even tell us her name. And he ends up having three sons with this woman. The first son, Ur, marries a woman named Tamar. And the Bible tells us, though, that God put Ur to death because of his wickedness. And in those days, the way that it would work is if a widow lost her husband, then they would actually end up marrying someone else in the family for protection for provision, and to extend the family line. And so Judah carries that out, and he gives his second son to Tamar. But that son, and you can read the details in chapter 38, he doesn't live up to his end of the deal. And so God actually smites him as well, puts him to death for his wickedness. Tamar, Judah's daughter-in-law, should have then been given in marriage to the third son. But Judah refuses to allow that to happen. Many years later, while while Joseph is probably still in jail, Judah is living in rebellion still from his family. And in that moment, his wife dies. And Judah decides, after he grieves his wife, he decides to go and check in on the guys who are shearing his sheep. But Tamar, his daughter-in-law, who's got no husband, who's who's kind of left in, uh, in, in poverty, she hears that he's coming. And so she dresses up as a prostitute and she seduces Judah as he enters the town. Somehow, without realizing that Tamar is the widowed wife of both his first and his second sons, Judah ends up sleeping with her. And as payment, he leaves his staff and his family ring behind. A little bit like leaving his keys in his wallet. Everybody knows who has visited Tamar. And then lo and behold, when he's in town next time, he is publicly outed and shamed as Tamar reveals his staff and his family ring in front of the rest of the townsfolk and announces that she is pregnant. This is a crazy part of this story, and it's often overlooked, but it would have been a key moment in the story around the campfire. It highlights Judah's sin, his rebellion, his misadventure on so many different levels. Judah had turned his back on his family and his God. He'd rebelled and gone his own way. His two sons were so wicked that God had put them to death and he refused to give his third son to Tamar as was the custom. Then Judah willingly sleeps with who he thought was a prostitute only to be exposed and shamed by the entire town and then realizing she was his daughter-in-law. What a mess. And so whilst his brother is sitting in jail, he's got no idea about that. 
Joseph's at the lowest ebb of his life. I reckon Judah's in exactly the same position. He's made his own prison. He's left his family. He's made terrible decisions. He's been publicly shamed amongst the foreigners that he's living with. He is literally living out the parable of the prodigal son, which Jesus would a couple of thousand years later preach. But just like the son in that story, God is amazingly still at work. When we catch a glimpse of God's redemptive power when we see Judah begin to repent. When Tamar brings out Judah's staff and ring, the story goes that Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her my son to Sheila. And he did not sleep with her again. And he realizes that this girl, Tamar, is more righteous than him because she followed a bunch of customs that he didn't. And you just see in this moment the beginning of a melting of his heart, the steps towards repentance. Because Judah had walked far away from God, but God had never left him. God can still turn the hardest of hearts. Keep praying for those in your life who have turned their back on God. Keep asking God for his redemptive power to continue to soften their hearts. Because it happens in Judah's life. God continues to work, and somewhere along the line, we don't know when, we don't know how, but Judah fully repents. He decides to return to his old family. He takes Tamar as his own wife, and their twin sons, Perez and Zerah, all the way back to Jacob, where he is welcomed home and reunited with his family. But we all know that there is a bigger reunion to come. As the story continues, we know that Pharaoh has a dream that Joseph interprets. And because of that, Joseph is released from jail and promoted to be the governor of Egypt. And he prepares the nation for this famine that was foretold in Pharaoh's dream. And as we saw last week, during that famine, Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to beg for grain. It's there that these brothers' lives intersect once again. Joseph is governing Egypt, but his brothers don't recognize him. And yet they give away that the youngest brother, Benjamin, is alive. And so Joseph demands to see him. As Kath showed us last week, Jacob wasn't all that keen on letting his now favorite son be taken away from him. But the brothers, if the brothers don't take Benjamin back to Joseph, there won't be any more grain. And there's still five years of this famine to go. Refusing to let Benjamin go could wipe out the family. It could seriously jeopardize the way that God wants to fulfill these promises. The fate of the family hangs in the balance. And who is it who steps up? None other than Judah. Judah tries to convince his father. Genesis 43 tells us, Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me. And we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all of my life. What a turnaround for Joseph. Uh, sorry, turnaround for Judah. The one who'd been running from the family now steps up to try and save it. The one who's had a history of shirking responsibility 
now takes responsibility for his family. And the one who sold one brother into slavery guarantees another brother's safety and protection. God has changed Judah's heart. God has turned Judah's life around. God's redemptive work is happening in Judah's life. These truths would not have been lost in those sitting around the campfire, sharing this story. They would have started to put two and two together and see God is working within his people. God is still working at Judah's life in order to fulfill the promises that he has made. And then Judah, he doesn't just stand up to his father to say, hey, let me take Benjamin. He stands up to his powerful brother as well. When Joseph puts yet another test in their way and threatens to stop them returning home with Benjamin, Judah makes good on his promise. He takes responsibility and he acts to protect his brother. Judah boldly challenges Joseph, saying, if the boy is not with us, and he uses this language that your servant and all that sort of stuff, very formal. If the boy is not with us when I go back to my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he'll die. We, your servants, us brothers, will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. I guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame for you. Now then, please let me, your servant, remain here as your slave in place of the boy and let him return with his brothers. The one who refused to honor his family is now fiercely depending it, defending it, I should say. Judah is willing to take Benjamin's place, to sacrifice himself for the good of his family and his father. At one point, Judah had walked away from his family, but now he is staunchly defending it. What an incredible transformation. God has brought about a 180 degree turn in his life. And this change is not lost on Joseph. The Bible continues, Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. And then Joseph made himself known to his brothers. Around the campfire, this moment would have brought a tear to the eye every single time. Here's the family reunion that Joseph had been waiting more than 20 years for. Initially, the brothers think that there might be some retribution for their decisions, their acts two decades ago. But Joseph is gracious and explains that God was at work all along. And once the initial shock and fear subsides, then there's a huge amount of hugs and tears and slaps on the back and there's restoration. Joseph tells his brothers to quickly bring Jacob together, bring the whole family. You'll be provided for in Egypt. And true to his promise, God continues to bless his people. The boys go back and they bring Jacob and the whole family back to Egypt and they're given this prime parcel of land. They get to look after Pharaoh's flocks of sheep and his herds and they they prosper even in the midst of a famine. God is at work in his people. But despite the joy in this moment, it's not quite one of those and they all lived happily ever after stories. Jacob's family are now strangers and foreigners in a land that is not their own. And God's promises have started to be fulfilled, but there's more to this story. 
going to take more time for God to work out his promises. But there is another little episode in this Judah and Joseph story, the final step in the redemptive journey of Judah. This man who has turned his back on his family and come back, the one who's decided to protect one of his brothers rather than sell him into slavery. There's one more step. Eventually, Jacob comes towards the end of his life. And as is the custom of the day, he gathers his sons around him and decrees a prophetic blessing on each of them. Remember, these men will become the heads of the tribes of Israel. The blessing of their father is incredibly important. And most of the brothers' blessings are quite short, and a number of them aren't very positive at all. Yet Joseph, the favorite son, receives an inheritance from his father. Joseph says to him, your father's blessings are greater than the blessings of the ancient mountains, than the bounty of the age-old hills. Let all of these blessings rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. Joseph receives these blessings from his dad. But at the same time, in this final step of redemption, Judah actually receives his father's promise. Of Judah, Jacob declares, Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons will bow down to you. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. It's in this blessing that we just start to hear the first hints of a coming ruler, a future king, a mighty leader who will come from Judah's descendants and will one day rule over all the nations. From once this, from this once hate-filled, rebellious, and irresponsible prodigal, we become, will become a future king who will rule the world. Can you see where this is going? God has redeemed Judah's past and restored his future. Around the campfire, the message is crystal clear. God is at work in the lives of his people. Even when it seems there is no way, God can make a way. He is always at work even when we don't see it. God's redemptive power took Joseph from the pit to the palace, but he's also transformed Judah from a runaway rebel to be the linchpin of his family. God is the one who makes a way. God is the one who can work miracles in people's lives. And we know this because ultimately Jesus steps into this picture. God sends his son to come and walk amongst us. Emmanuel, God with us. And Jesus lives this incredibly perfect life. And he teaches with incredible wisdom. He performs these amazing miracles. And yet, he gives his life as a sacrifice for us all. On the cross that Jesus is ultimately crucified on, there's two other crosses side by side. Criminals hanging on each of these crosses. And one of them, like Judah, ends up repenting. He ends up repenting and saying to Jesus, oh, forgive me. And Jesus turns to him and says, surely I tell you, today you will share paradise with me. 
we know that God is at work amongst his people. Our families are messy. Our stories are littered with mistakes and missteps. But God is at work within his people. And even when loved ones turn their back on us and turn their back on God, he is still with them, gently calling them back because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection makes a way for us all to be reconciled with the Father. This morning, I'd love us to pray for those in our lives who might be a little bit like Judah. Maybe you can identify with Judah's story, or perhaps someone in your life has mirrored some of that story. This morning, I'd love to, uh, to pray for the Judas in our lives. Love to pray for those who have turned their back on God. Love to pray for those who have even turned their backs on their family. And I wanted to use this, uh, this prayer time, this song that we're gonna sing in a moment to declare God's truths over them, to proclaim God's promises, to speak out this truth that God is at work even when we might not see it. To declare that God is a miracle worker who can take people from the pit to the palace, who can even redeem rebels like Judah. I want to invite you to stand this morning. And I want to warn you as well, this is not the end of our service. So don't rush off in the last song. I know many of you love to do that. There's a little bit more to come. But I want to invite you to stand this morning. And as we prepare to sing, I just want you to reflect on who is the Judah in your life. Who is that, that loved one? Maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe a neighbour or a colleague. Who is it for whom your heart breaks right now? Because they've turned their back on God. Maybe they've even turned their back on their family. We're gonna pray for them this morning. And as we sing this song, we're gonna use this song as a declaration, as a prayer that God would do miracles, just like he did a miracle in Judah's life and turn him around, that God would do miracles in the lives of those people who kind of represent Judah in our own lives. These guys are gonna sing and I wanna encourage you to join with them. Use these words as a prayer for the people that God has laid on your heart this morning. Come on, let's sing this song and declare these truths together. I worship you, you are here, working in this place, I worship you, I worship you, you are here, moving in our midst, I worship you, I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you, I worship you. Cause you are way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God. That 
Thank you, Lord, for your incredible redemptive power. Thank you, Lord, that you're at work in our lives and the lives of our loved ones, even when we don't see it. Jesus, we would pray for miracles and for, for turnarounds like Judas. Well, even this Christmas, as we, uh, as we invite our friends, our family, our loved ones to carols, God, we pray, Lord God, that you will be stirring in people's hearts and Lord, that they will be open to that stir. Jesus, would you continue to fulfill your promises? Would you continue to be at work? Lord, we lift up those prodigals to you, those Judas to you. Lord, we pray that you would move powerfully. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanna encourage you to take a seat this morning because like a great Marvel movie, this story has a post-credit scene. No, Joseph ends up uh, living for a long time in Egypt. And he still doesn't see this promise of God giving the land to his people. In fact, his people lived there for 400 years. But before he passes away, Joseph makes his brothers promise that they will take his bones one day into the promised land. He talks to his family and he makes sure that they commit to him, that he, his bones at least will end up in the promised land like his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather before him. For 400 years, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt until God rises up a new leader, a leader called Moses, who again speaks to Pharaoh. And eventually he leads the people out of slavery. But as they gather their things to leave, one of the things that Moses picks up is the bones of Joseph. And eventually after the Exodus and the 40 years of wandering, Joseph's bones are laid to final rest in the promised land. But that promise to Judah, that continues. And through the generations, God starts to bring people like David, kings like Solomon, people who rule with wisdom and grace. But sadly, the the people and the, the kings that follow, they kind of go through a similar story as Judah. They go through rebellion and then repentance. And it isn't until one of the darkest moments in Israel's history where the prophet Isaiah speaks up. God has brought these men and women, these prophets to bring the voice of God, to call people to repentance. And in the lowest, one of the lowest ebbs, for Jacob's descendants comes this prophecy of hope. Isaiah says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of His government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty 
will accomplish this. See, once again, God echoes the hope given to Judah that somebody will come and reign on a throne and bless all the nations forever. And once again, God is giving hope to His people that this is not the end. While things might look dark and bleak in the moment, there is hope. There is one coming who will bring light to the world. One who's gonna bring peace and comfort. The one who will reign in strength and in power. And this prophet was pointing to the hope that is in Jesus. Today marks the beginning of Advent, that the time when we look forward with hope to the coming of Christ. And each Sunday here at church, we're gonna light one of the Advent candles. We're gonna pause and reflect on what that, uh, what that candle represents for us as we look with great anticipation towards the Saviour's coming. And today, this candle represents hope. That in the, in the darkness and the bleakness of our world today, there is a light coming to this world. There is hope in Jesus Christ. The same way that Joseph remained hopeful that God would fulfill his promises, we can stand in that hope. Not some wishy-washy kind, oh, I hope that's gonna happen, but a strength of expectation that God will deliver on his promises because he is a faithful God. As I light this candle today, I want you just to pause and to reflect on the hope that we have in Jesus. Why don't we all stand as I pray this morning? Jesus, we thank You that You are the hope of the world. Thank You, Jesus, that You came bearing light and truth. Thank You, Jesus, that Your arrival as a meek and merciful servant, Lord God, would culminate in a victorious resurrection. And Lord, will be fulfilled in this everlasting reign. Jesus, thank You for the hope that we have in You. God, we worship You this morning. As we look towards Christmas, as we look towards Your second coming, Lord, would You fill us with Your hope in a dark and bleak world times. Lord, would You remind us of the light that You bring. Jesus, this morning we worship You. We give You all the praise and the honour and the glory that You deserve. Because Jesus, we adore You. Amen.
be blessed, Gateway. I really wanna encourage you to uh, not just take one of these home and stick it up on the fridge, but give it to someone who you wanna invite to Carol's. If you're online, Carol's gonna be streamed. You can invite people through the, uh, the Facebook event, but encourage you to bring people to Carol's. Invite your Judas to Carol's this Christmas. They come and hear the hope and the truth that Jesus has for them. Hey, I hope you've been blessed through this, uh, this Joseph series. Next week, we kick off our Christmas series, Prepare Him Room. But today, today, if you would like some prayer, our team would love to pray with you. Our prayer team is gonna come down the front. Our host team would love to pray with you online. As we close the service, please feel free to come down the front. We would love to pray for you. But uh, if that's not you, may God bless you. Have a fantastic week. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. Go to Socceroos. Have a good one. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.